All right, it's Chandra with the Contemporary Horsemanship Podcast, and today I'm going to continue on with the science behind horse training, and we're going to talk about sensitization. So I'm sure you've heard of sensitization. A lot of natural horsemanship trainers or just traditional trainers will talk about it, so it, it is a little bit more common than like last week's podcast was about reflexes. You don't hear that as much, so this um, is actually a term that you should be familiar familiar with, So, um, but it's going to be a little bit different. Like The way that uh, natural horsemanship trainers describe it as is correct, but there's other parts of it that they don't really talk about, and I'm going to talk about those details as well. So um, first, we're going to tie sensitization back into reflexes like we talked about last week. Reflexes are highly stereotypical, but the strength of a reflex response can be changed. So that is an important part of training, um, just any with any method. So negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, which are going to be your typical, most common used um, training forms. Um, but you can change those reflexes. So, and there are also different reflexes that um, are changed based on their environment. They're not just the reflex that we always think about, like um, when you hit like the doctor hits your knee with the little hammer it's not just a reflex that you can do nothing about there's also reflexes that happen based on your environment so they can be changed is the important part of this is that um, through our training with either positive reinforcement negative reinforcement some kind of punishment those reflexes can be changed in response to a certain stimulus so causing a reflex response can increase the intensity or probability of the response to stimulus sensitization. So that's kind of what I just said, but in a more sciencey way. So you can cause a response that in that will increase over time in, to another stimulus. So a good example of this would be a whip. That's going to be your most talked about one. This is where you're, you've heard this before probably with natural horsemanship trainers. It's going to be, oh, you're going to sensitize your horse to the training stick or to the whip or to your leg or to the spur or to the bit or whatever it might be. It's going to be pretty much anything that makes your horse move forward or like move away from is going to be sensitizing. That's going to be your typical definition is to get your horse sensitized to something so that they see it and then they go away from it. So the whip is going to be a really easy example. So if I'm, let's say I'm in the round pen or I'm lunging my horse typical natural horsemanship this is going to be your like sequence of cues so you would have your horse in the round pen or on the lunge line usually they do like a point in one direction so let's say I want my horse to go to the left I'd bring my left arm up and kind of point in the direction I want the horse to go I would pick up on my or lift the lead rope if you're on a a line lift up my right hand and I would be kind of facing like the middle of the horse, kind of um, his belly area behind the drive line. I'd pick up my whip or my training stick behind his hindquarters. If he doesn't go forward, then I'm going to start swinging that whip toward his hindquarters. If he still doesn't go forward, you keep going until you tap the horse on the butt and you keep doing that until they go forward. So that would be your sequencing of cues for a typical natural horsemanship trainer and all you're doing is again back to our definitions is causing a reflex response from that intense stimuli and that stimuli is going to be the whip in this case so you're creating a response to the whip so essentially you are teaching the horse if you don't respond to my point then I'm going to lift up my whip 
And then if you don't respond to that, I'm going to swing the whip towards you. So now it's more intense. And then if you don't respond to that, I'm going to tap you and keep tapping you until you go forward. And most of the time, horses are going to learn that pretty quickly, that sequence. So that's one of the things about um, negative reinforcement is the sequencing is very, very important. And that's what makes it good negative reinforcement and bad negative reinforcement borderlining on punishment. So that's where you get you you're going into punishment because what what will happen is people will either skip their sequencing or they won't do the same sequence every time or they'll do the sequence sometimes and then not other times and then that causes a lot of confusion and a lot of worry and anxiety in a lot of horses. So for the first example um, if you're sequencing it sometimes and not other times, that's like the horses are going to be like, what What do I do exactly? So, And it also frustrates the handler as well because we might not even completely realize that we're doing it or we might just assume that the horse knows it um, and neither of those things are good and then we get frustrated and then we're more likely to punish the horse and then the horse gets frustrated and it's just this big circle of frustration. So... Um, I've seen that quite a bit where sometimes they'll do that sequence that I just talked about. They'll point, they'll lift the stick, they'll use the stick. And then sometimes they'll miss part of that sequence. So maybe they'll just lift the stick. Maybe they'll just whip sometimes. Maybe they'll just point sometimes. And then if the horse doesn't completely know it, there there's a lot of frustration and anxiety there because the horse doesn't know the out- outcome. What the outcome is going to be is always different. And that unpredictability causes anxiety in humans as well as horses. So especially when you, you know, you can't speak English to your horse, like even just in um, regular human life, if like a lot of the times I I like a predictable schedule, especially about something that I'm worried about. So like if I'm going to the dentist, I'd like to know, okay, today we're going to do this and this and this versus I'm going to go and I don't know what's going to happen or like going to the doctor or whatever it might be. Anything that's Um, questionable, like that might be somewhat painful or scary. Most of the time it helps or all the time for me, it helps to know what's going to happen. And then I, I can kind of prepare myself. It's the same thing with, with horses and animals, especially with those aversive things that are not as planet pleasant. If you explain to them, if like in a different form, obviously not English of what is going to happen. So if you continue with that sequence, like I'm going to point, then I'm going to lift my stick then I'm going to swing my stick, then I'm going to get closer, then I'm going to tap you in the hindquarters. So, and you have to stay with that sequence because first the horse has to learn it. So that's very, very important. The horse doesn't know what it means. Like then the whole thing's going to fall apart. It has to know what it means. And and that's going to take time depending on the horse. Some horses might learn that in five minutes. Sometimes it might take five days. It might take longer, especially if you aren't sticking with that sequence or you're just doing parts of it, or sometimes you do all of it, sometimes you don't, that's going to just break apart your training and, and make it fall apart. So that's very important to do. So always keep the same sequence. When you get into punishment is when you don't have any sequence at all. So let's say you get into the round pen and you just immediately start whacking the ground or whacking the horse to go forward. You've gone right into punishment. And you're putting pressure on the horse for doing what at the time? What was the horse doing at the time? So um, it, let's say the horse was standing there looking at you 
and you just went to the end of like whipping toward him or or hitting him with a stick, you're punishing him standing there and looking at you. So we also have the flip side of that. When we get into punishment, you're also punishing the behavior that's happening at that time. So it, it can be a slippery slope. There's very tiny little things that can change you from one learning quadrant to another. So like from negative reinforcement to punishment, those kind of things. So or positive reinforcement to punishment, negative punishment, that can happen as well. So we have to be really careful. Um, obviously with any horse training, you have to, there's little tiny subtleties that you need to be careful with. Positive reinforcement is no different, but specifically since we're talking about sensitization today, um, when you're sensitizing your horse and you're sequencing your cues, you have to continue to sequence those cues. That's the only way your horse is going to learn to be light. Like if you've heard, um, like your horse will only be as light as like your lightest cue or some, some kind of quote like that I've heard, um, multiple trainers say before it might be slightly different than that, but, um, it's essentially sequencing your cues. That's just kind of the catchphrase for it, I guess. But, um, this is kind of the scientific way of explaining it. So you have to be a light for your horse to be light. Essentially, if you just go in there and start whipping the ground, that's going to cause a lot of anxiety. So you might end up with a horse that's going into the round pen or going on the lunge line and immediately going forward and not stopping. Um, doesn't want to be caught, doesn't want to be near you because those things are scary to it. Or you can have the flip side when the horse is annoyed by that and it's too much pressure and it's the horse kind of already knows. So the other part of that of a horse that's kind of annoyed by this, and I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent, but it does go along with sensitization, um, is if you're lunging a horse and you go through the sequence too quickly or you don't give your horse enough time to respond. So let's say, again, I'm round penning my horse. I point and then I like I like to do a point, pause, lift the stick, pause, swing the stick, give it a minute of swinging, get a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, all with like a pause in between versus point, like sw- you forget the lift, you just go right to swinging, that can cause your horse to be like, well, I er, like I'm already going, but then you've already moved on to your next sequence. So if you've started pointing and the horse is going to start going like, let's say on the circle or into trot or something like that going forward, and you immediately go to hitting the ground, because let's say the horse isn't doing fast enough, you're not giving them a moment to respond. It's very important to give them a moment to respond. What I see quite often is, You'll point, the horse is about to get into trot or go, about to get into the circle because you haven't given them that moment. And then the person working with the horse goes to whip the ground. Then you get a lot of frustration behaviors from the horse. You get a lot of pinned ears, um, shaking of the head, swishing of the tail, wringing the tail, um, possibly even kicking out as well. So that's another thing to worry about. So sequencing your cues is very, very important. It tells you, tells the horse what's going to happen at the end. So and, and this is a way to create your light horse. This is the way to do correct negative reinforcement training. So sequencing is very important. has to be done every time all the way through. But over time, the goal is the horse is just going to go off of your point. If you are doing it correctly, this is how it will work. And you won't have to go through all those sequence of cues. You might eventually, like certain circumstances or certain days after breaks, whatever, you might have to go back to one of those levels. But you shouldn't have to go through all of those levels every single time if you're doing it right. If you're, if you you aren't having that within like a week, something's wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're skipping apart. You're going too fast. Um, it's probably the trainer. So, um, 
that's a small um, little side story here, but it's very important because you are sensitizing your horse to the whip and to your cues and to you, just like what I've talked about with positive reinforcement when you, which we'll talk about a little bit um, in the next episode or not a little bit, the whole next episode will be about classical conditioning, but you're conditioning something like this is your sensitizing. So you can sensitize your, your horse to everything in the environment, or you can positively associate everything in the environment. So there's two very different ways. So you got to be careful with both of those things. But since we're talking about sensitization today, you gotta be um, very careful with sensitization. So, okay. So the startle reflex, when you hear a loud noise for a human example here, you are then more likely to jump, even if the other noise is a softer noise. Um, and you usually wouldn't respond to that. You might jump because of that. So, um, and I forgot to mention this again. Um, I talked about this a little bit or a lot. I talked about this in the last episode because this is where I'm getting my definitions and stuff. Um, the book learning and behavior by Paul Chance. It's very good. I believe it's like it's the fourth edition, so I don't know if that matters, but that's the one I'm reading if you guys want to read it. It's very good, um, and this is where I'm getting a lot of the definitions for like the scientific parts, and then I try to switch them to make them less scientific so it's a little bit easier to understand, but that's where I'm getting all my information. So back to the startle reflex. So in that book, he talks about like a balloon popping. So if a balloon pops, it kind of you jump a little bit. You've been sensitized now because that's, that sound has happened, that loud sound. So let's say a balloon pops and then maybe you hear like a smaller, softer noise. Like maybe there's some clapping, like maybe you're at a party or something. You hear some music turn on. That might make you jump as well. So you've been sensitized because you've heard this bigger sound. So and that can go with many other things. Like you could be walking around and a car backfires and then you hear like a box drop across the street and now you've been sensitized to that. So you kind of jump at that more so than you would at any time. So um, it could be just all any kinds of things, but you're sensitizing you to other sounds. So the whole idea and the the goal here is that that happens to your horse as well, but on a bigger scale, because obviously, again, they're prey animals. So, and it doesn't have to just necessarily be just a noise. For us, that's a very easy, like, example. Like, you're kind of already worried, so then it makes you more worried to other things, pretty much. So, it's it's very similar to, like, it's trigger stacking, like I talked about in the last um, episode, where you've already, you're already worried, and then you, you can't take any more. Um, but, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be one thing. So like with the trigger stacking example, it's like, oh, there's this and this and this and this. It could just be the presence of one thing you've you've had like um, a bad experience with or you've been sensitized to it in the past and then it could cause sensitization in the horse right now. So versus trigger stacking, which are very similar. Um, the way trigger stacking is explained is like, oh, this is uncomfortable the horse. It's windy out. We're on the scary side of the arena. We get a spook. So it's like all these little different layers to it. Sensitization can happen like this is what happens when like a dog is abused. This is a, a decent example of it. Like my brother has a dog who came from a rescue. She is terrified of like people with hats so there at some point in time she was sensitized to a hat so it doesn't I doesn't I don't know what happened to her and it doesn't really matter what happened someone scared her or 
hurt her while wearing a hat. So she's been sensitized to people wearing hats. So she's like, oh my goodness, I see that and it's scary. And then that happens to other things. Like she's also afraid of thunderstorms. So that thunderstorm is scary to her. So even if like, so that's scary that she's been sensitized to that. So even if she hears like something that's not a complete thunderstorm, something smaller, she's sensitized to that. So it doesn't have to necessarily be happening all the time either. So even though it's not thundering right now, if she hears something, she thinks it sounds like it, there's a lot of of fear there. So that's kind of the other flip side to it. That's a little bit more difficult. Um, in remembering and like holding into those, those things that have, have scared you in the past, but that's going to be a more extreme example of it. Um, probably the more realistic example is the same thing like with whips and stuff. So you, and you have the same thing with horses who are afraid of whips. So they've been very, very sensitized to whips. Cause I'm going to talk about the flip side of this, which is desensitization here, um, in the next one. So, but I need to talk about it a little bit so you can kind of understand the two differences. So, I worked with this one horse who was terrified of any kind of whip and she had generalized it or he had generalized it to um, anything that looked like a whip too. And we'll talk about generalization later on and it's probably its own episode, but essentially it's when anything that looks like the thing you're scared of um, creates that reaction in the animal. So same thing with um, my brother's dog in the thunderstorms. He hears maybe like a dump truck drive by and it kind of sounds like that. So she'll generalize that and she's sensitized to both those noises. Um, same thing with the hat. She's generalized that hat to, to different people. Um, or like a horse will generalize to like being tacked up by different people and not just one person or generalized to wearing different saddles or different bridles or whatever. It's not just one particular thing. And like Mustang specifically, um, have a hard time generalizing sometimes in the beginning, um, it just depends. It depends on what's happened and there's different, there's a lot of different things that can go into it. We'll talk about that in the generalizing um, episode, but I wanted to touch on that a little bit. So, but back to the horse with the whips, um, he was really, really sensitized to the whip. So it didn't matter what kind of whip. He was very intense, like toward a lunge whip. So I'm assuming that was the culprit. Like someone had done something to him with a lunge whip specifically. But if you had like a jumping crop, if you had a stick, if you had a dressage whip, he would be similar, but not quite as much as the lunge whip. So that's going to be your most common. A lot of horses are afraid of those things, even if like they're not actively being used to hurt the horse at that moment. So they're just sensitize them. They've connected what they mean. Just like in my example earlier with showing the horse to lunge, all all you're doing with sequencing those cues is giving the animal an opportunity to respond before you actually like hit them with the stick. So, and in negative reinforcement, that's, that might be what you need to motivate that animal. And some of them don't necessarily need to be hit with it when hopefully don't have to, I'm not advocating for that at all. But you, in negative reinforcement, you have to make the animal uncomfortable in order to create behavior change. That's just, that's the definition of it. So some people have crossed the line into punishment and that's probably the case with this horse because he is so afraid of it. That's what I was talking about before. Like you can cross the line from negative reinforcement to positive punishment very quickly, which positive punishment is when you're adding in something to punish the animal. So you're adding the whip to hit the horse is positive punishment. So it has nothing to do with positive reinforcement. It's just the addition of something. Um, so in that example, 
the horse needed a ton of desensitizing. And the it had been so sensitized that it was very, very hard to do. And it, it was a lot easier to counter condition him and show him a new way, which I think I've talked about counter conditioning a little bit more. Again, we're going to go into all of these very important terms all separately. But essentially, counter conditioning is I'm creating a new meaning to an um, an object that already has meaning or a place that something that already has meaning, I'm going to change that meaning to either neutral or make it positive. That's my counter conditioning. So in this case of the whip with this horse, um, even just that the whip would mean neutral would be a really big deal for this horse. So it would be just having the whip kind of near him and then feeding him something very high value. And then once the horse is okay with that whip in that location, bringing it a little bit closer and then giving him that reward. That's typically how you would do counter conditioning, but you don't want to bring the whip too close to the horse too quickly because you're not counter conditioning at that point. You'd be flooding it or like, cause it would be too quick and the horse would want to get away. So it necessarily, not necessarily flooding, but more like, um, you've, you've brought the animal over threshold. Um, and then you got to be careful with that as well. Cause you need to go slowly and you don't want the food to be associated the wrong way with the whip. So you don't want to be like, oh, my favorite cookie's coming, and then you switch that um, to, oh, this favorite cookie means that this scary whip is coming. So there are like very fine lines to all of this because it's got to be, the whip has to be presented or whatever stimuli you have that the horse is afraid of needs to be presented in a small enough an amount that the horse isn't going over threshold essentially. So, cause you don't want food means scary whips coming. You want the scary whip is really far away. So like, okay, it's okay over there. Cause it's far away. And then they get a really good reward and then it's a little bit closer and then they still get that really good reward. And then a little bit closer, a little bit closer in tiny little increments without going over threshold. So that's how I re- retrain that. It desensitizing didn't really work for that particular horse. Cause he was so sensitized to it. But that's a side story. So I want to talk about specific things that horses are sensitized to. Going back to those examples that I talked about with the natural horsemanship trainer. Um, traditional trainer is doing the same thing, but you're probably going to just hear it more with the natural horsemanship trainer. because what, And that's where I've gotten it is where they'll say, okay, well, we need to sensitize the horse to the whip or the rope. And then, oh, now we got to desensitize the horse to those things. Because if you only ever sensitize an animal to stuff... They're just going to always move away from it. You're going to have a horse going forward and being really responsive to your aids, but you're not going to have the balanced part of the horse where he's going to stand still. He's going to be relaxed. He's not going to be worried. So you have to have both the sensitization and the desensitization. So, um, but yeah, a horse can be desensitized to everything. And most of the time they're going to be your aids. So leg aids that could be squeezing, kicking spurs. Um, and then it's going to be your like rain aids. So sensitized to bits, that's how they work. The horse, you pull gently and then, you know, if the horse doesn't respond, you pull more until the horse responds. You're sensitizing just like in the whip ex- ex- example. So bits, um, halter pressure, you pressing against them, um, all, all those things that are pressure, you're sensitizing the horse, you're, you're teaching him to move away from it. So, and then obviously the flip side is you desensitize your horse to all those things and you have to, to kind of balance the horse out, but that's how that's working. Um, and then you will have to be careful of that because if you're doing too much sensitizing or you're not desensitizing the horse, the horse can easily become afraid of those things 
and they're too sensitized and they're too forward and they want to run away from things and then they become afraid. So there, that's the very fine line there is you got to make sure the horse is comfortable with your tools. And I've heard lots of natural horsemanship trainers say that before. They have to be comfortable with the tools. You can't just use your lead rope to chase the horse around in the circle, in the lunging circle. It has to be used as a desensitizing tool as well. So that only goes if you're using negative reinforcement. If you're using positive reinforcement, you're not chasing the horse with anything anyways. So like I don't do that anymore. Um, I like to use targets. I think it's a much easier, safer best way to do it. But if you want to use negative reinforcement, you have to desensitize it. You just, you have to, because the horse is going to be too sensitized. You're going to get forward, 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 and you could definitely get fear in there or frustration in there. So that's very, very important. Um, and then I want to talk about another definition from the book. So the normal animal must respond not only to stimuli, which brings them immediate benefit or harm, but also to those that signal the approach of these stimuli. So again, just like I talked about with the sequencing of cues, your sequence of cues to, to have your horse go forward in the round pen is that approach of the stimuli, which would be the whip. The horse overall wants to avoid, avoid being touched or chased with the whip. So they're going to pay attention to these cues, the stimuli and the definition where I'm pointing over here. I'm then lifting my stick. Those are all the cues that say, says this whip is coming. That's what sequencing your cues and negative reinforcement is. It's telling the horse, here's your cue. Like, Hey, can you please move this way? Or I'm going to bring the whip in that or the whatever in same thing with the rain cue. You pick up on your rain, please slow down, or I'm going to add more pressure on the bit. So it's going to, it's, it's the promise of more later on. And that's how the training works. And however much pressure that more is going to be depending on your horse. So, um, that that's all learned through survival. We do the same things as well. It's the, what happens before what happens happens. I'm pretty sure that's a quote by Pat Pirelli, but that's what that is. It's the signaling of the cue. The horses know what happens first. They have to like in the wild, if the leaves rustle, rustle in the bush, let's get out of town because there's probably a mountain lion in there. So what happens before the mountain lion jumps out? Like same thing with a person. Um, if you hear a strange noise in your house or your dog is barking, okay, maybe there's someone scary outside. So you're always sensitized to those things because they could bring danger. Same thing with the horse and definitely more pronounced in the horse. That's why horses get so worried when you're not sequencing those cues or when you're just, just bringing out the whip and hitting them. Like it's terrifying for them. Then they don't know what's happening. They can't, they don't have any of those cues to pick up on like they would do in their in their natural habitat, even with the, um, with the mountain lion, like sometimes, sometimes there'll be a cue, sometimes there won't. But again, like in the, in the wild, like them being hunted is not a, a fun thing either. But, um, but yeah, we're trying to communicate with them, not hunt them. So we want them to be able to communicate back and feel confident and safe with us in our environment. So, um, and then I was saying, not only are the the, the animals um, sensitized to the stimuli that brings them immediate benefit or harm, but the approach of these stimuli, but it isn't the sight or sound of the beast which is harmful, but the teeth or the claws. And this is a quote from Ivan Pavlov, so Pavlov's dogs. So again, that was just finishing his quote. It was, it's not the mountain lion it's the he the horse hears the rustle 
they're going to leave now. So the horse sees the point, they're going to leave now to avoid the whip coming in. So that's, that's the um, modern day um, example that I have. So, um, and then I wanted to talk a little bit about, expand on the reflexes that we had talked about last week. Um, because I don't want it to be, I don't want you just thinking that a reflex is something that's unchangeable because there's two different kinds. So it's not just the one where like you get hit with a little hammer and there's really not much you can do. It's just going to happen because this is going to go into the training. So Pavlov found two different kinds of reflexes in his research. So the first kind is the unconditional reflex. So they're inborn, usually permanent, that are found in virtually all members of a species, and they vary little between individuals. That's Pavlov's definition or Paul Chance's definition from the book. So an example would be the dog salivates when food is put near him or in his mouth. Um, These occur more or less unconditionally. So same thing like with people or horses, food comes and you salivate. Like that's just kind of the natural response. That would be your hammer response. Like the doctor hits you with the little hammer and your knee moves. And that's just one of those things that you don't really control. So that's not really one that we are looking at as far as training. This is where like clicker training was born because that's where the salvation comes from. That's where Pavlov figured out the whole dog thing and that he could ring the bell to do all that. That's where the clicker training came from. But what we're going to be working on is the second one, which is the conditional reflex. So the conditional reflexes are not present at birth. They must be acquired through experience and they are relatively impermanent. So they can be changed. These are um, psychic reflexes. So they're in your brain there. You are learning them through your environment, through who, what, and who you're interacting with. Um, these reflexes depend on experience. They vary a lot in different animals. So almost the complete different opposite of the unconditional reflex. Okay, so these depend on many conditions. So again, environmental um, just depends on what's going on. So these are going to be your changeable ones. So the unconditional reflex, um, back to the first one, consists of an unconditional stimulus and the behavior that causes it, the unconditional response. So just like we talked about, so this would be the unconditional reflex is going to be when the dog salivates when food is put in his mouth. So the unconditional stimulus is the food and the unconditional response is the salvation. The unconditional stimuli are typically events important to survival. So again, food. Um, And that's what we're going to use a lot. Typically important to survival. So um, but food is definitely important to survival. (laughs) So um, another example that I read in the book was these two researchers, Karen Wallace and Jeffrey Rosen, did an experiment with rats that showed fear responses to chemicals in fox feces. So they had a chemical that they would like spray out and then the rats would um, respond to just that. So there's not actual fox feces, there's no actual fox, but they said in the wild when a rat is attacked by a predator, it is usually too late. So the rat that has um, an innate tendency to freeze or run away when it detects odors associated with its enemies has a better chance of avoiding those enemies. So same thing with a horse. So obviously when the mountain lion's jumping on the back and biting the neck, like it could be very well be too late. So that's where you get 
those, the, the learning of, okay, is the bush, are the bushes rustling? Do they smell it in the air? Like that, I, I'm not really sure about the smelling. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they have a much better um, sense of smell than we do, but that I'm sure that's part of it. And that could be another part of training as well. But um, it's going to be those cues. Like this is where you, you, the animals get cues to see what's going to happen later on. It's just essential to their survival. It's one of those survival skills, but we've trained, turned it into a training skill for us essentially. So the, they're always looking out for things that could potentially be dangerous. So they're seeing those pre-cues that we're giving them. And then they're go. they're like in the case of net act, in um, negative reinforcement, they're actively going and avoiding those things. So in the wild, maybe the trees move a little bit and they hear something over there, they're going to move away because that could be a predator. So same thing with like last week's example, they hear the bush move, they're going to move away even though it might just be a rabbit. So they're, you know, you, you have to be prepared. Like they might think that there's a... Um, a cougar or a mountain lion in there and it's in our human world probably not it's probably just a rabbit or a bird or a dog but they're still wired to think in survival mode they're again prey animals and we do that as well like I know I do that like if I see a weird car and I might just be paranoid and like definitely like into true crime which is a separate whole topic but um I have sensitized myself in that way. If I see like a strange person or a strange car, I'm like, oh my gosh, a murderer, kidnapper. Like I've done that on my own, but I know that we can definitely do that just as humans. Like we can see something or see a situation um, or something kind of happening and we connect that to possible danger. So that's my kind of human example. So um, that's going to be a big deal in horses as well, because a lot of times we miss those things. We miss the things that the horse might be worried about. And and it's harder for us because obviously we're predators. So even though we do have that like danger, there could be danger here, usually it's it's not very um it's not very intense. Like we're not on the lookout all the time. Uh we don't notice every little detail. Like that's just us being predators and horses do. So we have to teach ourselves how to be more aware and more accommodating for the horse. Like, will this new flag scare the horse? Will these loud sounds scare the horse? Will he feel a little claustrophobic if I walk him between the fence and the barn? Think little things like that, that we need to kind of prepare and and set our horse up for success and ourselves up because we are the humans in the situation. Like, we can't just rely on the horse to take care of us. They're living in our world and we need to take care of them. So, um, but yeah, that's where those all those behaviors are coming from. They're just preparing to flee a potential threat and that's just hardwired into their brain they're prey animals that's what they do so um, that is going to be a lot of the causes of frustration and training issues is the horse just being a prey animal okay so the unconditional stimulus in this example is going to be food so if we go back to the dogs that salivate when food's put in their mouth um, what they did in the experiment was meat powder is what they used is an unconditioned stimulus. It's food. It's that important to survival thing. Um, and it reliably caused the unconditional response of salvation. So in clicker training, food is a primary reinforcer. It's one, again, like one of those, like the unconditional important survival, or it's something the horse really values or the animal really values or whatever species you're training is, it's, it's a primary reinforcer. So 
food, safety, um, comfort, those things are going to be primary for the animal. Like that's not necessarily like scratches. That's not going to be primary. That's not super necessary to survival. Um, lots of animals and horses do really like those. Um, it is very valuable for them, but it's not a primary reinforcer. So we'll talk about that later, but later on in the clicker trading that this is connecting. So, um, a conditional reflex. So the ones that we're going to be working on, that's where we're training things, um, consists of a conditional stimulus and the behavior it reliably causes the conditional response which is the conditional response. When the sight of a food bowl regularly causes salvation, the bowl is a conditioned stimulus and salvation, salvating is a conditional response. So that's how um, buckets, food carts, golf carts, a truck, whatever you feed your horse with or your animals with, that's going to be the conditioned stimulus. You've conditioned the animal to be, to see a bucket. Like all my horses see a bucket and they think there's food in it. If there's a bucket laying out, they're going to stick their head in there because there's usually food in there <laughs> because they've been conditioned to think with the stimulus, which is the bucket, that there's that the that them putting their head in there, their behavior causes the conditioned response, which is there's food in the bucket and they, they can eat the food. So we've been conditioned, we condition horses all the time to all those things I just mentioned. Um, and then um, outside of the horse world, like animals, especially cats, can get, be conditioned to the can opener. Um, different doors opening. Like my my dogs are conditioned to the sound of my specific vehicle. They know when I'm home versus if someone else is here. Um, lots of things. It's just uh, just like what I was talking about earlier, like they their predictability, like the stimulus that happens before something good happens or something bad happens. In this case, it's something good. So... Um, yeah, it's those conditional stimuluses, conditional reflexes. Those are what we're going to be working on and training and, and changing through train, horse training. So, um, but like through positive enforcement, we can also change the response to these things like like whips, saddles, places in the arena, halters, etc. Um, it's all based on cause and effect. So that's how animals learn. That's how people learn. And we'll talk about that specifically later on, like in detail, but it's what, what happens before something good or something bad. Like that's, that's how we all learn. That's how we avoid certain things that we don't like. Like, okay, if the oven is hot or if the oven is on, it's hot, maybe we shouldn't touch it. Like we, I mean, when we're kids, usually we only have to touch it once and then we don't ever touch it again. Kind of a thing. Um, so in that case, we know when that little red light is on, we're not going to touch it. And we only had to do that once because that was a bad response to it. But on the other hand, if we have something positive, like if we smell pizza cooking, like, oh, or cookies baking in the oven, like most people love that smell because we know something good is coming from it. So those are my human examples. But yeah, like at feeding time, horses can bang on the stalls and neigh and move around. Those are all excitement behaviors or could be frustration behaviors depending on what's been associated. Um, but there's a lot of times where people are like, I wish I could change my horse's behavior at feeding time. Um, but we've trained it. It's a conditional response. We conditioned it to, for a horse to be excited at the sight of a bucket or the sight of your truck or the golf cart or whatever it might be. So we are teaching them that even though we don't necessarily realize that we're doing it. It's all cause and effect. So that's really important. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at the whole time here is cause and effect. So the horse might hear the bush rustling. They think mountain lion. They might decide to leave town or spook or something. 
And then on the other hand, they see a bucket, they think something nice might be in it, they might want to approach it, come toward it. Those are kind of the two, those sum up the two main training things. So negative reinforcement, like uh, something um, either scary or uncomfortable will happen and I would like to move away from it. So then they move away from it, they respond, you take that thing away, negative reinforcement, that's the definition. On the other hand, you have positive reinforcement. So just like with the bucket, if I train my horse to touch a target and follow a target and they get a reward for it, they want to come toward it um, and I can create behavior that way versus chasing the horse and then they get a reward. So those are kind of two examples of the two different things. All right, I've got a little bit more. Um, so the other thing, and I talk, we talked about Pavlov's dogs earlier with the bell, but Pavlov also did another experiment where he got the dogs to salivate in response to the metronome as well. So this is where we're going to start getting into um, clicker training stuff a little bit more is he could get a response to different things with the same um, unconditional stimulus. So with, the, so with the food, the food could have been paired with any stimulus that he found with most any stimulus. So here's Pavlov's definition of make more sense. Pavlov found that virtually any stimulus could become a condition, conditional stimulus if it were regularly paired with an unconditioned, stim, unconditioned stimulus. So the food. So a click could equal food. Um, the verbal word, if we say good, could be a food, could be paired with a food. A clap could be paired with a food. Essentially anything can be paired with a food. So any sound, um, movement, a light, like they train goldfish with a flashlight, um, can be paired with food and create behavior. This is where clicker training came from. So the conditional stimulus to the unconditional stimulus recreates the unconditional response. And I know that's a lot of science stuff, but essentially the conditioned stimulus would be your click if you're using clicker training. Um, the unconditioned stimulus, which is your food, which is the, with the animal values, and your unconditioned response in this case with Pavlov and his um, dogs and the metro, metronome would be to salivate. So that's the unconditioned response. Conditioned stimulus would be your click or your keyword or whatever it is that you want it to, to teach your horse is going to be your, your sound that a reward is coming. Um, your unconditioned stimulus was your treat, so a primary reinforcer. And the unconditioned response in this case with Pavlov is to salivate. So this is going to happen with pretty much any kind of animal. So like when I do that, what if I'm clicker training with my horse, like if I click and then I'm going into my treat pouch and giving my horse a treat, like certain horses salivate more than others. Like my mare will be like drooling at some point in time when I'm going to give her a treat. But at any point they are like they know that food is going to come, so there is some salvation there. So um, that, that is going to happen a little bit. But um, each pairing of a conditional stimulus and an unconditional stimulus is called a trial. And this process is called classical conditioning. So I'm going to talk about classical conditioning in the next episode. Classical conditioning is just pairing, like pairing something positive that the animal wants. So most of the cases food um, with another stimulus. So any, anything that you want to pair it with. Um, and then this is going to be classical conditioning and what I just described is not going to be getting your animal to do things necessarily. It's not um, teaching your horse to lunge or teaching your horse to be ridden. It's pairing th things or yourself or places with food. 
And that's what classical conditioning is. And I'm going to get into that in the next episode. But it's let's pairing yourself with food and creating a, a positive reinforcement history. Something that the, the, horse, want, the horse wants to be with you because there's good things happen. And that could be with anything. That could be with a certain place. That's why horses like their stalls or their pasture, wherever they're fed, because there's good things there. Um, so it could be you. It could be a place. It could be objects. It could be your tack. Um, could be lots of different things. So that's what we're going to talk about in classical conditioning. So it's not going to be necessarily like I'm getting my horse to go do things. That'll be later on. But this is the beginning of classical conditioning and pairing um, like good things with places and people and objects. That's what we're going to be talking about next.